the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, April 24th, 2023. I am Seth Leaps, and our phone number is 602-508-0960-602-5080-960. David Dahl in the producer's chair. Good to have you. Hope you had a good weekend. Did you see any good movies this weekend, by the way? Uh, no, I, I just moved, so my, my television is still wrapped up in a box and oh, okay. needs to be hung. I have a working weekend. Um, I have a little bit of a, just a little head cold here, folks. Nothing serious at all. I'm not going to complain about it, but just bear with me if I sound a little, just a little nasally. We all become a little dead. That's the line from the attorney Frank Galvin in the David Mamet play and movie The Verdict that I've quoted a few times here. I was thinking about that on Friday after on Thursday, Senator John Fetterman posted a picture of himself holding a large banner flag celebrating marijuana use. This, the day after the senator hosted his Senate hearing and sounded as discombobulated as ever. Even as earlier in the morning, he cut a video saying he was back in fine health and feeling, in his words, 100%. That afternoon, though, at the hearing, he sounded as if you erased 100 IQ points from Karen Jean-Pierre or if You were to add five years of age to Joe Biden's senescence. So I pointed out to a friend the idea that the day after sounding like an illiterate and confused little boy, this United States senator would post on social media his support and love of marijuana seeming to be a pretty odd thing, either not good for the marijuana industry or self-indicting of John Fetterman. And... I told my friend, you know, somewhere, somehow, there should have been a staffer that said, maybe maybe we just don't post this. And my friend responded, you know what, though? People just don't care anymore. Very little matters anymore. There aren't any consequences for anything. Nothing seems to hold. And I thought of that Frank Galvin line once again. We spoke a bit about this a few weeks ago, numbness. It's a problem. Getting used to something unusual and abnormal. And it almost feels as if the elites want us numb. To become inured is exactly how we are to be worn down. And from worn down, silenced. And from silenced, acquiescent. Because we are benumbed. And a little dead, Pake David Mamet. We have things unheard of in a developed country. Declining longevity, declining educational outcomes and scores, increases in drug use and drug poisoning deaths, and then a series of massively failing public policies like a border out of control with record illegal immigration and a scandal-plagued government where it is revealed partisan operatives have used the intelligence committees and communities to censor and suppress news stories unhelpful to the operatives' party. And we're all a little dead to it, or numb to it, or too many are. The word I want to deploy here is apathy. It comes from the Latin, freedom from suffering, or really without feeling, as in without the feeling of suffering of others. There was a related word from the ancient Greek, acedia, without care, a worse 
form of sin actually than sloth. As Shakespeare put it in Hamlet, the indecisiveness of the prince in particular is nothing other than the Saturnine Ascedia, a gloomy acceptance of fate. If you live in the dystopia of Kurt Vonnegut's Harrison Bergeron, you have a government that implants bells and whistles in your head to clang the moment you start to care about something or to think for yourself. If you live in today's America, you wonder if we even need those implants. This is how you lose a country, starting with the loss of freedom to speak and learn and think, and soon enough we are robbed of the human sense to care. We become numb, a little dead. Remember when New York City was gleaming? It isn't anymore. Remember when Los Angeles was the dream destination for the rest of the country? It isn't anymore. Remember when Chicago was tugging your sleeve, the city of broad shoulders? They're slumped now. And as for Seattle and Portland, they follow, they follow the theology of the day. San Francisco, speaking of ads, no one would dare say the words that San Francisco treat, as I like to say today, because they wouldn't know how you could put those words in the same sentence. What defines the problem of homelessness and public safety, by the way? Numbness, as the population of the homeless and the violators of the public safety are all anesthetized. And so now, too, seemingly are the voters, but not with narcotics, rather something harder to deal with. Numbness, meaning worn down and deprived of motion or feeling, powerless to feel or act. Why do cities matter? Why do the once great cities matter? Because you take them, you take the country. As Pericles put it, because of the greatness of our city, the fruits of the whole earth flow in upon us. And what if the city is no longer great? The fruit becomes its opposite of great, rotten. And things, like limbs on a tree or a body, become rotten from numbness, a gangrene or a necrosis, if you will. One of the things I wanted to highlight with you today was one of the greatest speeches I've seen or heard in a very long time, and that was Tucker Carlson's speech to the Heritage Foundation last week. And now the bonfire of the ironies, ironies comes to us with the news of Tucker Carlson's separation from the Fox News Channel. Part of his speech to Heritage was about the herd instinct, the go-along-to-get-along instinct that has led us to such weariness, fatigue, and acedia. He put it this way, if I can quote him a little bit. He said, you realize the herd instinct is the strongest instinct. It may be stronger than the hunger and sex instincts. The instinct which is inherent to be like everybody else, not to be cast out of the group and shunned. It takes over in moments like this. It is harnessed by bad people in times like this to produce uniformity. You see people go along with this and you lose respect for them. That has happened to me at scale over the past three years. I'm not mad at people. I'm just sad and disappointed. How could you go along with this? You know it's not true, but you're saying things anyway that you know aren't true. Really, you're putting your pronouns on your email? It's ridiculous. What does that even mean? You're saying things you can't define. He goes on to say the truth is contagious. Lying is contagious, but the truth is as well. And the second you decide to tell the truth about something, you are filled with this power from somewhere else. Try it. Tell the truth about something. You'll feel it every day. The more you tell the truth, the stronger you become. That's completely real. It is measurable in the way that you feel. And of course, the opposite is also true. The more you lie, the weaker and more terrified you become. 
We all know that feeling. You lie about something, and all of a sudden you're a prisoner of that lie. Prisoner of that lie. You are diminished by it. Drug and alcohol use is the same way. It makes you weak and afraid. But you look around, and you see some of the people who have really paid a heavy price for telling the truth. They are passed out of their groups, but they do it anyway. I look at those people with the deepest possible admiration. Of course, this was the message Whitaker Chambers and Alexander Solzhenitsyn and Vaclav Havel and so many others who saw communism, a communism they once supported, so very much sustained by one thing, the great and big lie. This is why Solzhenitsyn famously taught us to live not by lies. He didn't ask everyone to be a Gandhi or a Martin Luther King, but he did write, quote, We are not called upon to step out onto the square and shout out the truth, to say out loud what we think, for that is scary. We are not ready. But let us at least refuse to say what we do not think, close quote. And back to the idea of a physical an intellectual necrosis and numbness, a becoming a little dead, if you will. Solzhenitsyn would write this, quote, Our way must be never knowingly support lies. Having understood where the lies begin, step back from that gangrenous edge, his words. Let us not glue back the flaking scales of the ideology, not gather back its crumbling bones, nor patched together its decomposing garb, and we will be amazed how swiftly and helplessly the lies fall away, and that which is destined to be naked will be exposed as such to the world. Close quote. This is a bit of what Tucker was saying to the Heritage Foundation last week. It is a lot of what those awakening from their lethal slumbers in communist countries have taught us. And it seems to me just now, it is the only way to restore the blood flow of honesty and truth into our body politic, a blood flow that revives us or will revive us from being just a little dead. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602 508 0960. You know, part of me is tempted to ask who do you think would be a good replacement for Tucker Carlson for Fox News? But the reason I hesitate to ask that question is very few people in the industry um, that he has carved out for what he did, uh, very few people are actually replaceable. And I don't think Tucker is. He was such a unique, sui generis, sui generis in Latin, such a unique feature and figure. And then there's this other concern I have, which is I don't know how many in the audience want to see Fox survive. There is this palpable, uh, ever since the election of 2020, but since, there has been a palpable resistance to the embracing of Fox to the degree that in our movement, really, Tucker was the only one that had a, had a real following on Fox, a substantial following. Oh, sure, I mean, to say nothing of people I know and like, 
uh, Hannity and Laura, for example, and I like Jesse Waters. I don't know him, but I, I, I know the other two a little bit. Um, they, they, they are all, they're all liked people and, and we want, you know, we want to tune into them when we can, but Tucker's show was, was a degree different. It wasn't a, we want to turn into them when we can kind of thing. It was a, I have to watch Tucker. I either have to get home to watch him or I tape him in a way that I don't think was done with a lot of the other hosts. Um, part of it may be familiarity and aging out, but Tucker did bring something very unique to Fox that Fox had not had before. And it's hard to, it's hard to say it this way, but the uniqueness he brought was his uniqueness. You were never quite sure where Tucker would land on an issue, but when you saw him work his way through to his conclusion and his landing, it made its own sense. It was a logical conclusion that he would draw, but it was always just probably a little more unpredictable than some of the others. And he was not a party guy in the way that, say, maybe Sean Hannity is. Um, and he wasn't even necessarily a movement guy in the way that, say, maybe Laura Ingram is. No question that Tucker was a conservative, but he was a different kind of conservative. And he got there different ways, ways that weren't traditional, even though some might say his kind of conservative conservatism was traditionalist. He would have a Objected to that. In fact, a little bit he did at the heritage speech that he gave. By the way, I, I will reiterate, if you go to whatever your favorite video platform is, YouTube or whatever, you're going to want to watch his speech at the Heritage Foundation last week. Um, I guess they were celebrating their 50th anniversary and had a bunch of feature, featured speakers. He was he was the keynote. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know what becomes a fox. CNN doesn't have this problem. Uh, CNN obviously got rid of Don Lemon today. And um, if there's schadenfreude at CNN about the exit of Tucker Carlson, there can just be just as much schadenfreude about CNN losing Don Lemon, who was nowhere near as important to CNN as Tucker was to Fox. Not at all. But if you step back and think about it, and you think of CNN, who do you think of as their face? Maybe once in, a, once in a while back it would have been Wolf Blitzer, but really the person who was making the most noise and news over there was Don Lemon. So if perhaps we might be seeing something going on with cable television news um, as, as, as going through a paradigm shift... Hopefully, in the case of CNN, it's a good thing. Hopefully. Hopefully. You know, it takes an awful lot for a corporation like CNN to get rid of someone so uh, intersectional as Don Lemon. Uh, it's not, it doesn't take as much for Fox to get rid of someone like Tucker because he doesn't represent intersectionality. In fact, that was kind of, as I'm talking through it and thinking through it, with you as I'm talking through it, that was kind of the charm, uh, if not a value of Tucker. He didn't care about intersectionality, and so much did he not care about it that he was happy to condemn it, uh, which is itself a hard thing to do 
in today's culture. Fox has had its problems over the years, and it's maintained, obviously, some hosts and producers who haven't behaved well, to put it no higher. That wasn't Tucker's issue. Tucker's behavior, uh, personal life and personal behind-the-camera activities are obviously impeccable. You don't have the problems, let's say, that you might have had with uh, Roger Ailes or Bill O'Reilly in the case of Tucker. So we don't really know why he was asked to leave, but it does kind of seem like, and I agree with Scott Johnson about this, it does kind of seem like it wasn't on his terms and it wasn't his choice. And the reason you say that, or I say that, the reason I think it wasn't is it would have been odd for him not to have given a a a, a, a commencement uh, or an exit show, a farewell. You don't see that in radio when hosts uh, are dismissed against their will or leave against their will. They're not really given a last goodbye, but you do see it. With television hosts, usually you do. Uh, in Don Lemon's case, he he wasn't given one, but probably didn't didn't deserve it. Uh, he, of course, wasted no time in blasting CNN on Twitter, um, ha- handling it very much differently than Tucker is. We'll figure out what's next for Tucker, obviously, and it'll be a success because Tucker is a success. The real question is, will Fox be? Will Fox be? And I don't know. And in raising that question, I don't even know if many in this audience or many in the conservative movement want it to be. It seems it's just lost some of its luster. And today, the brightest light of whatever luster it still had was dimmed, taken away, not there anymore. So that'll be the thing I'm more curious about. Not what Tucker does next, but what Fox does next. Had a huge role to play in the 90s and in the 2000s. No one else could have played it, and no one else did. And credit to Roger Ailes and Rupert Murdoch for seeing it. But sometimes networks, like organizations, get founder syndrome and, like countries, lose their way. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website where you can reach out to him. Also learn more about Grand Canyon Planning. He is also the host of his own radio show, Heard Here, every Saturday morning at 7 a.m. It's called The Word on Wealth. John, how are you? I hope you had a good weekend. I did. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You betcha, sir. You betcha. All right. Um, still some concern about the smaller banks and possible fallout. And now we get a big piece of news about First Republic. Unwind this for us, sir. Yes. Yeah, so of course, First Republic was one of the banks that had some financial difficulty during the crisis we had about a month ago. Mm-hmm. And we saw a couple of banks that did fail, uh, Silicon Valley Bank uh, being the, the one that has been talked about the most. Yeah. Uh, but First Republic, a fairly large bank as well, uh, talked about how in this report, once they reported their earnings, that they lost uh, a little bit more in uh, deposits than than what was thought to be. Of course, there were a group of other banks, 11 banks, I believe it was, that came to 
the rescue of, in this case, First Republic, uh, not wanting First Republic to fail. And they added an additional $30 billion at the time, which brought uh, a little bit of, uh, I guess, comfort to depositors, and it did begin to slow down the withdrawal of uh, deposits on the bank. And overall, they, at least in this report, have stated that the flows are back to normal right now, the inflows and outflows of the bank. So that is certainly a good sign right now for the whole uh, banking industry, without question. Let me ask you what might be a dumb question, John. Um, When you look at this uh, news on Q1 for First Republic, losing about $100 the story, as I read it, is that customers pulled out $100 in deposits, give or take. That is a slightly different problem. This is why I think I might be asking a dumb question. That is a slightly different problem than what caused the uh, the, uh, the 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 bank problem, the other bank problems, isn't it? I mean, it wasn't so much mismanagement as it was an issue of confidence that may have come in the afterwash of the news. Or maybe right. I'm wrong. When I think no. about Silicon Valley, it's not the same problem. In other words, uh, no, it's not. You're okay. correct. Okay. Um, now we're. we're there could be some of similar uh, mismanagement, maybe of their deposits that they would have had, uh, but they're not saying that right. in this report, at right. least. Uh, it is more, you're right, uh, depositors losing more confidence. More of a crisis of was, confidence than a crisis yes, of management. Of a, that's right. More of just a fallout because of uh, the prior bank that failed. So uh, this is interesting. I, I think most people wanted to hear about this because we wanted to really start to get a better feel for an understanding of you know, what the actual banks are going through at this mm-hmm. point. One of the other things is, is the stock was actually up quite sharply throughout the day. Yeah. Uh, but once they reported the numbers, and we saw that these numbers were a little bit worse than maybe what was expected, uh, the stock dropped after yeah. uh, after the market closed. But, again, overall, they did also actually do better on their earnings than what was, ex- what was at least expected. So uh, I think... It's a fairly benign uh, report. There's some good news and some bad news in it. Uh, but I think what's, what's really uh, what we need to look at is that it looks like the bank has, the at least for the moment, yeah. yes, solved the challenge that they initially had, and they're on the mend. And that's the hope here. Uh, there's a Wall Street Journal subheadline, economists turn more pessimistic on inflation as it uh, looks uh, uh, more persistent with them with an elevated risk of recession. Where are you on that? Are you uh, are you uh, pessimistic on inflation right now or a little bit more optimistic? You know, it's interesting because if you go to the gas pump, I think we maybe mentioned this last week. I mean, I just... It's worse than it was two weeks ago. Yeah, I, it's yeah, gone it, up. It, it's for it's, sure gone up. It's back to where it yeah. was at its peak. It's right. not even above it. Right. So I don't understand what's going on with oil right now. We've got to get our, our, our you know... Uh, this administration really needs to get their act together when yeah. it comes to our oil. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we're all feeling that. That is an absolute inflationary pressure that every everyone, everyone is driving is feeling, it, yeah. unless you can afford a $100,000 electric vehicle. No, I mean, you got, I mean, you blinked your eyes and you thought, what the heck happened to the gas yeah. stations? Is it just I, that one? No, it's that nope. one and that one and that one. And the, yeah, it's, it's... And now diesel yeah. is less now than regular gas again. Okay. So... We've crossed over here. (laughs) Just what the environmentalists probably wanted the whole time, right? More diesel fuel. Mm -hmm. The ironies of this economy. All right, John. Thank you, sir. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA, and an investment advisor. 
LSEN not affiliated. Thank you, John. God bless you and Godspeed till tomorrow. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Do we have a political pin on today, David? So I mentioned that I was moving. Yes. I, I left the I left the house today and realized that I, I didn't have one on. <laughs> so you get a demerit. I guess I do. You get a demerit for today. By the end of the week, we tally up the demerits. And if there are more than five, we find some condign, pu- <coughs> we find some condign punishment for you. If there are more than five demerits in a week, we will find condign punishment. You okay with that? Uh, well, I guess I have to be. But you know what you can do? You can you can try and find five for me as well. Maybe I'll just wear five pins one day. No, no, no. I mean, because the pin is not the only form of, of lay's majesty you can engage in. The absence of the pin. It might be something more than that. But you can keep a tally on me, and we'll see if, if either of us accrues five or more violations by the end of the week. Let's not aspire to it. But I will try. Not yeah, to. Let, yes, let, let's yeah. let's compete to get less rather than more. I can't believe Joe Biden is doubling down on this. Did you hear these comments today at the White House? This is incredible. Just incredible. And let's see if Rebecca I could put a teacher's creed into words when she said there's no such thing as someone else's child. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. They really believe that. They keep saying stuff like that. They keep saying stuff like that. Like he said to the teachers earlier in the year, celebrating at the White House, that when the children are with you, they're your children. This is far beyond what we used to call en loco parentis which was the temporary legal responsibility for the safety of the child that you are basically overseeing and supervising. It's far beyond in loco parentis. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. This is the stuff of parents' patriae, a far more severe thing than in loco parentis. Parents' patriae means... The child is the residuary designee of the state. This is why you have communist leaders known as father or uncle, Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe Stalin. Do you know who gave Joe Stalin that nickname, Uncle Joe Stalin? I think, I think it was Winston Churchill. Maybe someone can check me on that or I can check on the break. I think it was. So it was never a term of endearment, actually. I don't think you would have wanted to say it to his face. But you do notice in con- communist countries, they, they do talk of, of the leader, if not dear leader or supreme leader, as the father. I guess I was first attuned to this when the battle over Elian Gonzalez took place in 2000. I don't know if you remember that, David. But... There was this weird debate about who had custody, who had rightful custody of Elian Gonzalez, this young child. I think he was about six, if I'm not mistaken. If memory serves, he was about six. And his mother risked her life to flee Cuba to get him here. She died. He survived. 
And it was the wife's family that lived in Florida that tried to maintain him here, keep him here, give him a shot at the American dream and freedom and a city of refuge from the communism of Cuba. But the weird thing was the father's side of the family kept talking about the father's interests, but the father was always Castro. It was a weird thing when Elian was returned and the family spoke of Father Fidel. It wasn't really literally the blood father of Elian that was spoken of. It was Fidel Castro being seen as the father. And here we have Democratic politicians, whether it was Terry McAuliffe in Virginia, who was the former governor of Virginia and the former head of the RNC, excuse me, of the DNC, by the way, who spoke about the parents not having control over their children's education as a not criticism, but as a statement of preferred fact. And then you saw people like Joe Biden or even Randy Weingarten starting to say the same things. And today you have there's no such thing as someone else's child, meaning a parent's child. No such thing as someone else's child. He says it twice, and then he says our nation's children are all our children. Well, there's, there's, there's an innocent way to read that and a not-so-innocent way to read that. The innocent way to read that is, you know, this, I don't know, amorphous, ethereal, fluffy notion that, you know, every life matters and, you know, I consider myself a part of every child's life. You know, it's our duty to protect all our children. It can be read that way, but that is not the way they are saying it. They're not saying that when they at once deny the parents' rights over the children and say it is a communal piece of property. And that's how they view it, as a communal piece of property. And if it's not China or Cuba, it certainly is Stalin, where they have parks and posters, excuse me, parks and statues, parks and statues named after, depicting children, children of the revolution who turned against their parents and turned their parents into the state, turned their parents into the state for violating the principles of the revolution. And you kind of get this sense when you look at the legislation being proposed in California, the House Assembly Bill in California, or what's being proposed in the state of Washington, where parents can be removed from the custody of the children in what really is children being removed from the custody of their parents if the parents aren't going along and getting along with the child's desire to engage in what they euphemistically, I think Orwellianly, call gender affirmation. There is no greater Orwellian turn speak than gender affirmation, is there? And there are bills. There is a bill in California, in the Assembly of California to do just that, as there is in the state of Washington. This is a weird, upside-down trend that reverses basically exactly that which the Black Lives Matter movement put in its curriculum saying they wanted to reverse, which was the Western-dominant notion of the family. And it's not just the Western-dominated notion of the family, where the child is indeed yours, but also an attendant Marxist view that you can overcome not only the family structure, 
but the sex structure of a child. Sex is nothing more like the family than a social construct. What a temporary or local majority claims it to be. Man's triumph over nature. It's not a good thing. Certainly not with these men. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. How do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy with the banks failing and stock market volatility and possible recession coming? Excuse me. What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not correlated to the stock market or the Fed, an investment where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. Talk to my friends at Y-Refi. They're offering all of this. Y-Refi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there, and I can tell you, you won't get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. It's offering an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-Y-REFI-34. 888-Y-REFI-34. I sound like the Brady Bunch a little bit, don't I, when they're recording their song. I don't know if you remember that episode. I've got a little... uh, a little throat thing working today. I'll be fine. But uh, what would Mike Myers slash Linda Richmond have called it on Saturday? A little spielkus in my Ganectica zoink. I think, that's, <laughs> I think that's what they called it. Here's a voice. I couldn't. Someone sent me this over the weekend. I'd seen it before. Victor Hansen has a great uh, piece on socialism in America. Uh, do we even know we are all socialists now? And <clears throat> I'll go through that with you maybe. But someone sent me this over the weekend from... Uh, 1976, and I just liked it so very much. I want to play it for you. Someone very profoundly once said many years ago that if fascism ever comes to America, it'll come in the name of of liberalism. And what is fascism? Fascism is private ownership, private enterprise, but total government control and regulation. Well, isn't this the liberal philosophy? The conservative, so-called, is the one that says less government, get off my back, get out of my pocket. And let me have more control of my own destiny. Yeah, that's right, right? He was so clear, just so very clear. And interestingly, too, not just clear, but unafraid, unafraid to talk about the things that people said you couldn't talk about. Well, 76, he came darn close. And uh, if you want to see the difference between, um, well, between Reaganism and Fordism, <laughs> go back and uh, watch on your video players the Beat the Press appearances of Jerry Ford and Ronald Reagan in 1976. Jerry Ford, I think, once wrote a book called A Ford, Not a Lincoln. Aptly titled, quite aptly titled. All right, I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.